0: According to the good Dr. Luke, we are in chapter 22, 39 to 46. The title of the message today is, The Cosmic Cup. Luke 22, 39 to 46. Hear now the word of God. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? he asked them get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation and may god add his rich blessing to his inspired and errant infallible word let us pray father make it a word of salvation for the unsaved comfort for those in storm winds and there are many and rest for the tired weary and heavy laden give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than the lord jesus christ come now fount of every blessing Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus and Him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Three headings, very simply. Number one, under the cosmic cup, the Savior's command. He gives us a command. It's loud and it's clear. From that, we'll move to the Savior's cup, number two. And then finally, we'll look at the Savior's condition. The Savior's command, the Savior's cup, and the Savior's condition. You ready? I'm going to head out into some deep water. Let our nets down for a catch. Number one, what was the Savior's command? Let's take a look. Jesus went out as usual, we'll unpack it slowly, to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples followed him. You'll remember that the Mount of Olives, we've talked about it before, is a grove. The disseminate will be a grove inside that Mount of Olives. It's across the Kidron Brook from Jerusalem's eastern wall. And what we want to remember is that this garden, and and there were many there, they're, they're owned. People owned them. They were their own gardens, closed off, fenced in. So here we find another unknown servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, like the one who who loaned his donkey. The man who was carrying the water and the one who provided the upper room. All unnamed. Unknown. Except for the fact that they were willing to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And here, clearly a follower of Christ has opened up his garden area for Jesus. On reaching the place, Luke doesn't identify it, we know it as Gethsemane. He said to them, Here's the command pray that you will not fall into temptation. Now, we have to think immediately when we hear something like this, we have to hear an echo. Inasmuch as we don't read the words in Genesis, chapter 3 that that Adam and Eve should have been praying to God they were in communion with God they were in fellowship with God they were walking with God in the cool of the day and there's no question here that Jesus has taken his disciples back to the beginning that I want you to recognize that they left communion with God they they walked away from God they they no they no longer prayed to God that they 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 broke fellowship and because of that, we know what's happened. And I'm reminding you that you, you, you need to pray so that you will not fall into temptation. So let's briefly take a look at Gethsemane. It means olive press, and you would expect to find an olive press in an olive grove. Okay, It was a place very, very thick with, with olive trees, and it would be a good place. There would be no lighting there. It would be a good place for Jesus to go, as was his custom at the end of the day. To find rest, to get away. But remember, and we'll look at it next week, this is where he went. Judas would know that, and Judas would know now to bring the authorities, which we'll look at next week. And this is the time for Jesus to to now be arrested. Okay? We're we're getting to that moment. I want you to see two uh, two, two gardens, because it's important that we see what's happening here. There's, there's clearly an echo that we hear back in the first garden. In the Garden of Eden, they, 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 whatever communion and fellowship, they stopped. Something happened. And Jesus is saying, here, here's what you need to do. So let's, let's take a look. In the first garden, the Garden of Eden, we have a sinless Adam who's tempted. The first Adam is tempted. He's battling Satan. He's battling himself. He's battling against the sin of Satan. And he lost by proclaiming, not your will, but my will. So Adam and Eve wanted to do their will. My will be done. Utterly sinless up until that point. Totally in step with God. And yet, notice what he says to himself. He's not praying for God's will to be done. No, it wasn't. Good enough for Adam and Eve to have been made in the image of God. They want to be God. So you can imagine their prayer. Not your will, God. We know what you said. On the day that we eat this, we will surely die. But my will. Adam is saying my will. So in the Garden of Eden, we see sinless Adam being tempted. And now we see the contrast. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we see sinless Jesus is also tempted. The last Adam he's battling satan he's battling the self and he's battling against this sin that is everywhere in the world and he won by praying not my will but your will be done know this between the garden of tragedy which would be eden and the garden of triumph which we have in revelation jesus must conquer in the garden of testing. Where Adam failed. The last Adam must succeed if we are to be saved. God gives the promise in Genesis 3.15. The seed of the serpent will strike his heel. And the seed of the woman will crush his head. But this is that moment now of, of testing. Will the seed of the woman conquer will he fulfill his father's will 22 41 we want to get an understanding of what he's really going through in as much as no human mind can plumb the depths there's some clues in the passage that can help 41 He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. He knelt down and he prayed. Okay. Standing, as you know, was the primary posture of prayer. But now he's kneeling. That's telling us something. But there's also something else here. In Matthew and Mark, they actually go a little further and say he fell face down on the ground. So the posture is telling us something about the condition of his heart and what's happening in his, inside of him right now. He's overwhelmed with what is about to happen. Stone's throw is also instructive. Notice this. They could see him. They could hear him. He is ever the teacher, even in his moment of utter anguish, He doesn't go off to where he can't be seen or heard, but he stays as the teacher to continue to instruct. I say to you, pray so that you do not fall into temptation, and I'm going to show you exactly what it looks like. All good teachers do that. They practice what they preach. So he's only a stone's throw away. They can see him. They surely can hear him. And we'll see that in a moment. Hebrews 5 7. Listen to these words. Jesus offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. He's overwhelmed. And yet, when he comes back to his disciples, Luke doesn't tell us, but what does Matthew and Mark tell us? They're sound asleep. And they tell us it happens three times. Hard to imagine. But what would we have been doing? (sighs) Overwhelmed with sorrow and grief. He's in the greatest struggle the cosmos has ever seen. He's struggling with sin, Satan, and death right there and they're sleeping the spirit is willing lord if if wherever you go i will go the spirit is willing and the flesh is which is why he says what pray pray continue to pray that you don't fall into temptation psalm 50 james 5 let's look at these very quickly call on me in the day of trouble and i will deliver you there's the promise you pray i promise to deliver you but you pray Divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Jesus said to Peter, But I have prayed for you, but he still tells Peter, Pray. Yes, I have prayed for you, but you still need to pray. You need to understand the responsibility that you have. You're responsible to pray that you don't fall into temptation. There's a role that you have to play here. Peter, James, John, he brings them closer into his suffering, and they're asleep. And in James 5, 13, is any one among you afflicted? Who doesn't have some kind of affliction? Let them pray. People ask often, well, if God knows everything and has ordained everything, then why pray? Right here, because he commands us to pray. Prayer isn't for God's benefit. It's for ours. We're not changing God's will and God's plan and God's purpose in our prayers. Our prayers are changing us. And let me make this clear. Because this was one of my greatest struggles early on as a brand new believer. I didn't pray much. And I had a really good mentor who said to me, you know what that is a sign of? Just simply depending upon yourself. And I never really thought about that. You know, people would ask you, what can I pray for you? No, I'm good, I'm fine. Your prayer life will give you the best indication of how dependent you are upon God. It's that simple. So, the question is how... How does your prayer life look? Because we have a duty and we have a responsibility to be sure. When you think about, you think about temptation, right? Is, is temptation a sin? No. Falling into temptation, giving into temptation, entering into temptation—that's the sin. Everyone is tempted. Jesus was tempted. He didn't sin. So we've been promised what? Temptation is everywhere, everywhere. You can't drive down the street. The billboards and the signs and watch a television show. I mean, we're, we're tempted everywhere. So Jesus says if you want to resist this, if you want to fight again, you need to be in prayer. Not for my benefit, but for yours. You need to stay connected to me. You need to stay connected. If anyone is afflicted, that's all of us. Let him pray. Number two, you see the command? And let's make this perfectly clear. We, we need to be crying out to God during this time in, in, in not just our country, certainly not just in our community, worldwide. What's happening right now? It's no joke. That's why we, we're doing what we're doing today. But we need to be praying. That God would be intervening, praying for this another opportunity for us to be praying for hearts that are far from him, that would come to him, for hearts that have never beat for Christ, that would begin to look to Christ. So now let's take a look at this, really, probably the, the, the deepest message in this passage. What is this cup? What is this cup all about? Okay, you ready? the Savior's cup, he withdrew 41 to 42, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Okay, now, many have said, okay, it looks to me like this is a sign of great waffling and weakness. Looks like he's not really sure what it is that he's here to be doing. I'll, I'll, I'll correct that in just a moment. But let me make this clear. This is not a sign of weakness. Don't miss this. This is a sign of his holiness. And we'll go deeper in a moment. His holiness is rising up against all hell that was about to break loose. We'll go deeper into that in just a moment. But you have to imagine what he sees in that cup. Let's take a look at the, what does the cup mean? What does the cup represent? Now you know earlier in the evening there was a cup that he talked about. Take and drink from this cup. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. The blood of the new and everlasting covenant for the forgiveness of sins. That cup. Now we're going to see this cup. We drink from that cup only he would drink from this cup the cup of god's unimaginable wrath and judgment you ready isaiah 51 17 and let me make this clear no matter how much we try to unpack and we read the scriptures and we try to figure no one could even begin to imagine and you want to know how we know when you look at some of the the films that have portrayed jesus and the crucifixion and the primary message and all of that are the nails and the spear and the crown of thorns. Do you realize that 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 was painful? But thousands upon thousands dealt with that. The overwhelming anguish and pain was from the sixth to the ninth hour when darkness not only covered the land, but it covered the sun. And he was separated for the very first time in all of eternity from his father, that's this cup. this is what he knows is coming, and this is what's and in his this is the perfect picture of of the dual nature of Jesus. he's fully God, so he's in step completely with the Father, but he's also what fully man. He weeps and he cries and he's hungry and he's thirsty and he gets tired. Is it any wonder what is happening here? But I want to show you the depth of what's really happening. In that flesh that has never sinned. Awake, awake, Isaiah says. Rise up, Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. No one can even begin to imagine what that would mean. Ezekiel tells us the same thing. The cup of ruin and Desolation. Look at Habakkuk 2.16. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. He knew that was coming. Drink and let your nakedness be, be exposed as he hung on the cross. The cup from the Lord is coming to you and disgrace will cover your glory. Do you see what's happening? He drank a cup we will never have to ever taste why now there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus was judged on our behalf Jesus drank the cup we should have drank to give us the life we could never have lived or earned on our own and he's overwhelmed but now notice the shift that takes place he says, Father, if there's, there's any possible way. And, and why is he being so deeply tempted? We've talked about this before. Why? Who doesn't want him to go to the cross? Satan. Satan doesn't want him to go to the cross. Why? He knows that that's the end. He tried to give Jesus, what? A way out. In his wilderness testing, he said, Lord, you can have all of this. You don't need a cross. I'll give you the crown without a cross. You can have all of this, the kingdoms of the world. I hand them over to you. Just simply bow to me. And he knew he was completely defeated then. So he messes with Judas and he messes with, with with Peter and he messes with all the disciples. And even now, he's still trying to get you. Please don't go to the cross. Satan's not trying to kill him. Satan isn't the one that puts him to death on the cross, it's his father. you 42 here's 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 the answer to all of our struggles and i'm not saying it's an easy one but it is the answer father if if you're willing take the cup is is is, is there anything wrong in asking the father to take the cup paul said lord take 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 the cup the cup the, this cup has a thorn in it can you take this from me Three times the scriptures say Paul prays for the cup to be taken away. And three times he gets no positive answer. And then what do we read? That my grace is sufficient in your weakness. In other words, God says what? Deal with the cup. I've given you that thorn so that you won't get conceited. I need to be able to use you, but you need that thorn. So God gives us these cups that we drink. And it is right to pray for them to be taken away. But we ultimately get to a place where we must cry out what? Yet not my will. But your will be done. There's the key. John 6, 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus understands the plan. Jesus isn't shrinking back from the plan. How many times in the ministry does he tell his disciples we're going to Jerusalem where I will be handed over and I will be crucified but three days later I will be raised again. But I think the most important thing for us to take from this, Father, if it's possible I think what we should take from that is to remind ourselves of how horrific sin really is. Think of, all of, think of sin. Think of your own. But think of the very first sin that got us into this mess. I think sometimes we forget that. Now don't text me about this later and, and, and say I was teaching error. But listen, I, they ate a piece of fruit just didn't seem that bad, did it? Compared to some of the stuff that we've seen, some of the unimaginable sins that we have seen, we've been overwhelmed by it. And you go back to the garden and you go, "Eh, you ought not to have done. What does God say? On the day that you eat this, you will die. Every sin, any sin separates us from God. We don't have to have some kind of system to to measure, well, these sins are are really, really, oh, these are really bad. These these separate you forever from God. These kind of make God's heart sad, and we can work through these. And so there's categories of, no. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. So this is to remind us that, don't be looking around at other people and, 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 and identifying that at least I'm not as bad as that guy. Or at least I haven't done that thing. So perhaps I'm not as far gone. You're as far gone as you could possibly be because any sin and every sin separates us from God. He is too holy. He is too righteous. They disobey And they die. I think that that's what Jesus wants us to get here. And if we began to understand how horrible sin really is, that in and of itself would be helpful in helping us to look at ourselves with sober judgment. And to what? To pray more earnestly to God. God, help me in this. Help me fight against this. You know some of the things that you struggle with. We all have certain things that we struggle with, yes? What should we be doing? We should be praying. Praying that God would would take this from us. Strengthen me in this hour. Praying in advance, right? Especially when you know some of the triggers that you have in life. You know some of the things that cause you to think things you ought not to think, say things you ought not to say, and do things you ought not to do. When you know that in advance, what should you be doing? Praying. God, strengthen me. I know I'm getting ready to go into this mess again. Strengthen me, Lord, so that I don't do what I did last time. Help me, God. That's what Jesus is saying. Pray. Strengthen yourself. You'll be strengthened by coming close to me. That's important that we get this. And that brings us now to what? The Savior's condition. You ready for this? this I, think, I think this will tell us everything that we need to know about how horrible sin really is and 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 remember, don't don't think like, and this is easy to think, we see such horrible sins in the world. Don't do that. W- well, do that, but don't just do that. Look here, look in the heart. My sin sent Jesus to a cross, all of them. That's what we need to remember. So what's his condition? This is fully God, fully man, utterly sinless, unblemished, perfect, righteous. Let's take a look. An angel. Don't miss this. An angel from heaven appeared... And strengthened him. You know this is the second time? Only two times angels appear in his life. That's instructive. They appear in his wilderness testing to strengthen him. So it's really like bookends. Satan's after him really twice. He's after him his whole life. He's dogging every step. But he's really after him two times. At the beginning in the wilderness experience. And right here in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what does the father do? Sends an angel. An ambassador of ministry. He sends an... Well, what does that tell us about Jesus? Well... We know that he doesn't send him for his Godhead. Because God created the angels. So he sends him for his manhead. So this is another indication that Jesus is fully God and fully... People say to me, I don't see this in Scripture. How do you miss it? What's the angel coming for? Same reason the angel comes to you. God sends an ambassador to you. So now, take a look. You made him, take a look, Hebrews 2, 7 and 8. You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. Why does he need an angel? His friends are sleeping. They're not even there to encourage him. So while the friends sleep, an angel strengthens him. So why is that instructive? If all of your friends walk away, just remember you're never alone. God's sending his angels to minister to you. We don't see them, but we sure sense them, don't we? And we understand the promise that we have. And here's the promise right here so he's made a little lower than an angel he's he's man and yet god sends the angel to minister to him and being in anguish take a look he prayed more earnestly pause you heard the line when the going gets tough the tough get okay we got a better one when the going gets tough the tough get praying just seems like that's what's and being in anguish he prays even more have we thought about it this way if jesus needed prayer how much more do we he's sinless he's perfect and i'm not talking to the god i'm talking about the man took on flesh tired and weary and sad and hungry and thirsty, if he needed prayer and he constantly was in communion with his Father, how much more do we? And yet how often me personally do I neglect it? But now here's something that's important that helps us get inside of what's happening to him. And he sweat, his sweat was like drops of blood Falling to the ground. There's a condition, a medical condition for this. There's a title for it. It's called hematidrosis. And what it means is that the, the blood vessel vessels rupture. And blood comes out and, 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 and seeps into uh, the sweat glands. And, and the, the sweat comes out tainted with the blood. He is so overwhelmed with this cup, he's sweating droplets of blood. Let let me give you a quote from Alfred's Greek Testament, Henry Alfred. Listen to these words so that we can be clear on what's happening. The intention of the evangelist seems clear to convey the idea that the sweat was not fell-like but was like drops of blood, colored with blood. To suppose that it only fell like drops of blood is to nullify the force of the sentence and make the insertion not only superfluous, but absurd. Why does he write it? Because he's bleeding through his sweat glands. You want me to put it in in the simplest term that kind of helps me? His heart is breaking. His heart is overwhelmed. And so the blood is mingled with. But remember I told you we'd come back? That I told you this was not a sign of weakness, it was a sign of his holiness. What, what are the three things that we struggle with in life? We have three things that we struggle with, and, and, and there were three things that Jesus struggled with. Now I know you're listening. I know you're paying attention now. Don't get up and go get a drink now at home. Don't. Listen to this. Pay attention. What do we struggle with? The world, the flesh, and the devil. But there's three things Jesus was struggling with. Right then in that moment, what was it? Holy, holy, holy. His holiness was overwhelmed by our sinfulness. We struggle against sin. We we, we fight against the world, the flesh. He's fighting to hang on to the holiness because he's never known sin. Do you see what's happening to Jesus? 2 Corinthians, what does it tell us? God was about to make him who knew no sin, he knew no sin, to be sin for us. So that in him, him we would be the righteousness of God. So many have, have messed this verse up. What what What's happening? Our sin, on the cross, our sin is being imputed to Jesus, and his righteousness is being imputed to us. He's not becoming sinful. He never sinned. It, look at it this way. Jesus, without sin actually, no sin actually, but at the cross, he's made to be our sins judicially. Judicially. No actual sin, but judicially on the cross, God imputes our sin to Jesus. Never has he committed a sin personally, but now he has made sin for us substitutionally. And that's what brings the entire Old Testament sacrificial system to a close. Substitutionary atonement. How often we speak of that and how many have neglected to preach that from the pulpits. The entire Old Testament points to one singular biblical truth. Substitutionary atonement. And on that cross, Jesus was our substitute. And God took our sin and imputed it to him and took his righteousness, which is alien to us. None of us have any of it. It has to come from somewhere else and imputes that to us who are in Christ. So many have messed that passage up, talking about the sinfulness of Jesus and He and was actually my sin. No, no. This is the substitutionary atonement that the entire Scripture teaches. 1,500 years of Old Testament history now finds its fulfillment where? On the cross, John said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God who's come now to take away my sins and the sins of the world and he's overwhelmed. Why? Because he's holy. 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 John 18:11. Ready? Now the, the, the angel came to strengthen him. The disciples were no good. Can't you even imagine for just a moment, now I'm not saying this is what Jesus was thinking, but if I were Jesus, and I'm not, but if I were and I got back there the third time they're sleeping, I'm thinking, you know what, I'm going to get me some new guys. This is my final, and you're sleeping. So they were no good to him. Yes, they're filled with sorrow, but stop. You can't stay up a little while with me. You can't. That's why you need to pray. See, this is an object lesson for you. I'm trying to show you how weak you are and how strong you're going to need to be when I'm gone and I send the Holy Spirit. You need to be on your face before me. because There's some real bad stuff coming you, to you guys, I'm telling you. So was Jesus strengthened? Did God really strengthen his son? Take a look. Jesus commanded Peter. Remember, they come to the garden. Peter takes the sword, lops off the, the high priest's servant's ear. And what does is, what is Jesus say? Put away your sword. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Was he strengthened? Make no mistake, he was. Let me give you a great quote from George Morrison. And this makes it very personal. Every life, everyone has its Gethsemane. And every Gethsemane as its angel what a promise we have in god close permission to petition hebrews 4 15 to 16 we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness stop do you understand that whatever you've been through he's been through and so much more we can't even begin to comprehend or fathom That's why we have to understand. You ever ask the question, when you read the gospel accounts, why is there so little information about the actual crucifixion? There's nothing. They nailed him. They put him up. He's dead. He's in the tomb. Why? That wasn't the greatest pain for Jesus. Thousands had been crucified. It was when he cried out, my God, my God. Why? Forever we have been together. Why? Why? So he knows, he knows what you're you're, you're, you're in the middle of it right now. Some of you are in the middle of a horrible storm. An unimaginable storm. A storm that I would not say, well, I I understand because I haven't been there. And maybe nobody that you know has been there. But he has been there. He has been in that storm. And he's in the storm with you right now. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way. Every way he was tempted. Just as we are, we're tempted. Yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. How do we close? Verse 42. And we'll give our invitation. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. So what cup are you drinking today? A cup of sorrow? A cup of suffering? A cup filled with the storm, winds of life? They're everywhere. You can't get away from it. Cry out, God, Take this cup. But don't end there. Don't stop there. Because that cup has not come to define you. Christ has. And he's working through you and in you. In the middle of that cup. Yet not my will. But yours be done. We don't understand God's plan all the time. We don't understand His will. And many have asked, Pastor, why does this happen? Why does that happen? The best answer I've ever heard is this. I, I, I don't know why. But I know what the answer cannot be. It cannot be that God doesn't love you. The cross tells us that. He sent His Son to your cross with your nails, your crown of thorns, You're scourging all over your body to take your death, to take your sin, to take the penalty, and to drink God's cup of wrath so that you might have eternal life. Just remember, whatever it is that you're in the middle of right now, whatever it is that you're going through, you're going to get to the other side. God has promised to get you to the other side. But that's only if you're in Christ. So with outstretched arms and nail-scarred hands, Christ has come. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. His body still bears the marks that we put upon him. Come to Christ. You can't work yourself into God's favor. You can't do enough good things to outweigh the bad. It doesn't work that way. Trusting in Christ alone. Trusting in the shed blood of Jesus. Trusting in the promise that he said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father apart from me. Trust in Christ alone. And salvation is yours today. And you will never taste that cup of wrath that he drank for you. Oh, you'll drink a cup of sorrow. You'll sip from cups of bitter storm winds. But remember the promise: there's a day coming when there'll be no more sorrow, no more pain, and no more death. That's the promise we have to hold on to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power. Of the gospel. We thank you that you have promised to get us home. You didn't promise smooth sailing, but you promised safe harbor. We don't understand everything today, we won't until we get to the other side. So we trust you. Even when we cannot trace you, we trust you, O God. Father, for those right now who hear my voice, who have never surrendered control to Christ, never, ever trusted fully and completely in Christ alone, right now is a moment of salvation. Give the gift of repentance and faith. If you hear my voice right now, you need to say, Something as simple as this prayer. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And salvation is yours today. The promise is to anyone who cries out to Jesus. You cannot out-sin your Savior. There is nothing that you can do that can separate you from His love and mercy and grace. Nothing. And when you are in Christ... The promise is profound. Not even death will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. That's the hope. That's the promise. That's the only thing that will help us get to the other side. Knowing that he who began a good work will one day complete it. Father, bless all those who are watching today. Minister the hearts that are broken. And then help us to go out and to share you with all those we come in contact with. And we thank you. In Christ's name, amen. To our entire family of faith, thank you that we could worship together today. The cosmic cup of suffering he drank that we will never, ever, ever have to deal with God's wrath and condemnation. That's the power of the gospel. To know that there is nothing. Once you are in Christ. There is nothing. That you can do. That can take you out of his hands. Because. He came out of his father's hand. While he hung on that cross. Let that truth comfort and strengthen. And let us share it with those we come in contact with. Now is a wonderful opportunity for us to talk to many. God gives us these opportunities, He opens these doors for us to walk through. People are afraid, they're scared. We have a promise that transcends everything. We have a hope that cannot be crushed. No circumstance in this life can touch the living hope that we have in Jesus. Let's tell them. Thank you again for worshiping with us. Receive now the benediction of our God. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you all. Go in peace. (laughs) Missing Garrick and Margot. God bless you all. Thank you.
1: Shipping.